Good evening. This is uh, Dave Messina. Above me is uh, Dan Oaks. I'll see whatever whatever framing uh, you guys have, and also uh, Alex and Blunty. So, uh, great news uh, from our view is that uh, uh, Blunty is joining the core team of FPVFC, and uh, uh, I'm delighted. And I'll uh, just uh, give you a little bit of background. Uh, uh, Blunty has spent uh, over six years as, uh, in the professional cannabis in Colorado, assisting the state marijuana enforcement officers to, to dial in the interpretation of new cannabis laws to fit the real world. So he's got a, an excellent understanding of regs and working with uh, uh, government agencies and the speed with which they work. Um, we also, uh, he's uh, worked with other departments like uh, Excise, Licensed Fire, Department of Agriculture, and the Marijuana Enforcement Division. Uh, he's currently working, or uh, doing the weekly news show, as then I, I hope uh, a bunch of you know, uh, and the monthly new product roundup with Joshua Bardwell. And uh, Lunty is also providing free troubleshooting services uh, for drone repair, and also one-on-one -on -one, uh, billable uh, paid troubleshooting. So, uh, Blunty, welcome to uh, uh, to this team, and uh, we're delighted to have you. And uh, hopefully, a uh, couple words. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm happy. That was to be two here, words. Uh... <laughs> You're done. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, it's exciting to uh, so exciting to be on this side of stuff. I'm hoping that um, yeah, I mean, I can help make a difference in the hobby. Is the main. I think that's kind of why we're all here and what the point of this thing is, right? So. Um, I, yeah, I could. I just hope I can help in any way doing that. And uh, and it, I don't know. It's uh, it can be uh, nerve wracking. I think for a lot of people to see upcoming regulations and laws and where everything lands and uh, what's happening. And um, uh, yeah, I just hope we can help uh, guide that in the right direction and make sure everything goes uh, like we want it to, so we can carve out places for us to fly. Right. How we we want to continue. How how we fly and where we fly. And yeah. So thank yeah. you. And I, I'm I'm confident in. And talking to you and getting to know you, that uh, you'll make a difference here, and uh, you'll make a difference uh, with our work with uh, the FAA and the and the various other uh, organizations like Drone Safety Team and uh, maybe ASTM, but uh, that one is uh, at the time at the time sink. <clears throat> so welcome, and we're thrilled. And uh, now we are five. Uh, Josh is uh, not here tonight yeah, uh, was... because he's so uh, on a on a personal note, so he's just uh, fi fixing uh, air conditioning in Arizona, so yeah. that's a priority. I was just going to really quickly say, no, we didn't replace Josh with <laughs> with its Blunty, even though it kind of looks like that's what we've done over here in the live stream. But yeah, it, you don't want to spend too long in Arizona with no air conditioning, so <laughs> that would definitely be my priority as well. Definitely. So we had just a, a couple of things uh, to, to go over this evening. One was uh, today it was released that the, or we heard, I, I'm still, I've still not uh, seen anything official, if anyone has. Supposed to be uh, in the register tomorrow. Yeah, okay. the most official thing I have is from Facebook, yeah. from the FAA Drone Zone. I don't know if they posted yeah, it um, anywhere else, but I can grab yeah, the Drone was... Zone link here. Oh, good. I'm glad they have a link there. Oh, yeah. So the 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 news that we got is the September 16, 2022 deadline for manufacturers for remote ID has been pushed to December 22nd, 
2022. And they apparently were explicit that there are, and there's the link, uh, that the second major deadline of September 16, 2023 is not moved. And so this only affects the first deadline, which was just a couple or just a week or so out from now. Yeah, it's interesting. So one thing, go ahead, go Alex. Ahead. I was going to say one thing to add to that is the post where we saw the 22nd of December and the FA post says the 16th of December. So they're two different dates. Uh, not, I'm assuming the FA one is the correct one, but the 22nd was also heard from a reputable source. So we'll see what the register shows tomorrow. Sure, but then also based on what they've posted, it says it's the FAA's, uh, they're using their discretion for whether or not to enforce it. So, I mean, like if they just decide not to enforce it till the 20th, <laughs> it's not super official either way. And then that also seems as if like, oh, a company's trying to implement it, but doesn't have it implemented yet, that they, at least the wording, how I saw it, seems like that's how they're thinking if a company's trying to implement it but doesn't have a solution yet versus yeah. a company that's just plain out ignoring it until then. It says for drone manufacturers who are making progress towards remote ID compliance. So I assume what they're trying to get at there is if you tell us that you're working on it and try to give us some proof that you're working on remote ID, we're not going to enforce these. But if you're just outright ignoring everything and somebody brings it up, I suppose, they'll 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 enforce it but it seems is pretty this the kind of thing that there will probably be like an advisory circular is that how they do this stuff typically or... uh they have a varied enforcement i would imagine that they are working on an advisory circular it that's, says that's an odd oddball yeah it just says full full de details yeah. will be posted in the federal register september 8th but yeah. they're saying now, they're Alex, just going to use their discretion you... Alex, could you search to see if Skydio has a declaration of compliance on the FAA site? Sure thing. Just so I have that tab open a... on my phone twenty four seven. This sorry. Uh, um, I think I have that a, one a up good... here somewhere. Uh, nope, site. nothing yet. Okay, so very interesting. So no, no that's telling. So. Great. Um, uh, we we work with and we know the uh, government affairs people at Skydio. Uh, that organization's led by uh, Jen Player. Uh, she's been in the industry for a long time. Full scale pilot, uh, drone pilot. Uh, great person. She works uh, with us on uh, multiple DAC uh, work as well as the Beyond Visual Line of Sight uh, arc. She led uh, one of the subgroups. So. Great person, great team. Uh, the Skydio announcement is worth reading. Uh, it's a couple pages, and it articulates a lot of things we know. So you know, if you're going to the Skydio announcement thinking, oh, I'm going to learn something, well, pass. So it, it, it's just well-written, and they say, we're going to take care of you. We're going to have uh, remote ID. There's the, uh, the announcement. I assume and that's so the one you're talking about. That's it. And if someone's, so if one of your friends says, well, what is remote ID? In addition to uh, the work that we've done, uh, this is uh, uh, a good brief explanation. They've got an FAQ and uh, lays it out what uh, uh, pretty nicely. 
they don't go into any details of uh, the Skydio Remote ID solution other, to, other than to say that it's integrated and it's obviously standard uh, Remote ID UAS. Um, with that, um, when Blunty and Joshua Bardwell uh, had me on uh, their, their show for a, an interview, one of the topics, and uh, Dan, if you could find the link to the Andrew Trigel, uh, yeah, video his at, interview when he was on with uh, Drone and Sundry. Yes, pretty sure this. So yep, this is one the of the one. thing. One of the things that the three of us, Joshua Blunty and I, talked about was, well, what do you think about the possibility of a uh, open source solution? Uh, for remote ID. And I said, I don't think so. I don't think it's going to happen. And so listening to this video, there's some hint uh, that maybe it will. And so we're, uh, we're looking into this and we're talking to some of these folks. Uh, turns out, uh, goes by uh, Andrew Tr Trigel, goes by Tridge, uh, is also a, a retired IBMer. He's a PhD, worked in IBM research, uh, art guy. Um, and the video is worth. The video is long. You may want to crank up the uh, uh, the playback speed. Uh, but it, if you're uh, if you're into software development uh, as well as remote ID, uh, it, this is uh, an interesting uh, topic. And and I mention it because. Uh, this could be, if they figure out how to uh, enable remote ID in an open source uh, platform, uh, platform of what in this case, running on the flight. It's ArduPilot. Ardu he, he's a developer for ArduPilot. Yep. Yeah. So the, he's the uh, the lead on systems development for ArduPilot. Sounds like he's uh, been there for a number of years now. And uh, uh, as they say, uh, ArduPilot runs on satellites to submarines and everything in between. So it's a pretty capable uh, piece of code and it, uh, worth uh, worth tracking. And other than that... Um, Did you have anything to say about Betaflight possibly getting some support for Remote ID or anybody working on that? I know that Betaflight is... Um, uh, is thinking about this. Don't um, don't know what the uh, what the outcome of that will be at this point. I I know there's interest. Uh, so hopefully over the next couple of days we'll have something more substantive there. And I I know Dominic Clifton has reached out to us and he is one of the top uh, committer or <laughs> what do you say top people who submit code to Betaflight and uh, contributor yep. contributors to Betaflight contributor. And uh, he's definitely seriously looking into what Betaflight can do to support people who want to be compliant with Remote ID. All right. And so all of our light, um, light controller software uh, forks uh, operate under uh, GPL version 3, so the open source license of uh, GPL version 3.0. And in that, there's a stipulation that the cryptography keys need to be uh, handed to users. And so any, you know, so something that would be tamper resistant, that would obviously fly in the face of tamper resistance. So uh, we think that the, 
uh, Tridge has probably got some uh, good ideas on how to work around that. Certainly, um, Dominic uh, is thinking about it, and um, uh, they're you know not not sure that they want us to uh, to share some of the details, but uh, we'll find out over the next uh, week or or a couple weeks. And yeah, I'm not a, have, uh, not an expert in how that stuff works, but Andrew Tridgell definitely was doing some brainstorming and mentioning some of his ideas in that video, uh, if you watch it on Drone and Sundry. Um, so if you do have questions on how is it possible, that might help answer your questions. Otherwise, if other people here have other questions about how can this be possible, um, let us know and we'll try to answer them. But it, it really will remain to be seen like once they come up with what they think is a good solution and submit it to the FAA, will the FAA approve it? Will they say, no, that's not good enough? Or will they say, oh, it's really close, but you have to do these little things to make it slightly better? Kind of like what the FAA did with the remote ID uh, means of compliance from the ASTM standard. Uh, and from what we understand, or at least what I heard, um, that uh, with ArduPilot, they've they've paid for the ASTM standard, and that's kind of what they're using to work from to try to meet the remote ID goals. Do we know any more about like what they really mean by uh, by tamper resistance or evidence? Because I even looked through the guidelines, and it doesn't. It's not very specific. They're very vague, and uh, we've had uh, this is uh, the subject of um, of the we've restarted the ASTM working group meeting. So 138 people are on invitation. Uh, and we've had uh, four FAA folks uh, sit in. And the topic is the tamper resistance. And what should the ASTM do? It's likely that we'll modify the, um, the standard at some point. Uh, but we're not, and uh, the consensus is that we're not in a rush to do that. And part of the, the challenge is that the, the guidance that the FAA gave, which were the three conditions on top of the approval of the MOC, were very, very general. And so it said tamper resistance in the rule. We, uh, th we tried to provide uh, latitude on the, for the manufacturers. Uh, and uh, then the FAA came back and said, uh, "No, you know they they want it to be a, um, to follow the the conditions that they set, which were indeed also vague. So, it, and it's you know there is there are firm definitions about tamper proof, tamper resistant, but they've been clear that they are not um, looking for a reserved or careful language. They they want it to be uh, somewhat uh, vague, and that that's troubling because." That and we went through this uh, with the FAA on the phone. What this means is that uh, a manufacturer could launch a broadcast module, a safety uh, event happens that's an incident, it's not a positive, yeah. and then the FAA will come back and say, "No, nope, we're going to rescind your declaration of compliance approval. Uh, you have to resolve this." And so, what that means, obviously, is that. We're doing an iterative design post-production, which is the most costly thing to do, and that that can threaten the life of uh, of the company. So, is, we're, we're, go ahead. Is this like a cover your ass thing for them? 
like where they don't want to specifically define so that if there is a safety event based on their definitions then they're not in trouble is that the idea here because otherwise it seems insane not to just say here's the list of things we need from you just do this and then everybody's cool right because like like there are so many levels of tamper resistance i know this from cannabis we dealt with this with all the packaging they, they had to specifically define a exactly what tamper resistance was and then they specifically approved individual packaging for years because they could right. not decide exactly how to write in the law and it was all interpretation yeah. it was like oh you need to push and then pull and then pull down and it needs to be two grams of force and then for a while they were putting kids in rooms and seeing how many kids could open the bags and that was the level of tamper resistance <laughs> was like how many of the kids in these studies could open the bags over a certain amount of time it, it was just it was very um loose you know but but they eventually dialed in and i'm afraid the same thing is going to happen here where you know we were spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on packaging that we were throwing away like a month later because they decided like oh this doesn't work and if we find this you're in trouble so you can't use this but you still have to have something to leave your business with and so yeah, um, yeah it just scares me from that direction because like we could say tamper resistance is you can't open this case to get in the hardware but then it's just a sticker or we could say tamper resistance is like we're potting around the seat the 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 chip though you can't put you know probes on there to change the pin value you know there's so many different levels of like tamper resistance something right? i've learned from working with the faa so far is they really love to have other people solve their problems for them and so they'll sort of propose something hope somebody solves that problem for them and then maybe in the future they'll say yeah what those people did that's what we want you to do too right yeah, yeah. so i don't think it's i don't think it's malicious but it sure is capricious i mean this is damaging and you know we, I made it very clear on a, a uh, to the FAA on, on the ASTM call, and we're, I was backed up by a number of other uh, individuals that you know this pushes the cost up uh, astronomically. Uh, yeah. And I said, you know, if you, I, and I then asked for, it. I said, how about, you know, we'll iterate on some ideas with various manufacturers now prior to manufacturing a broadcast module. And yeah. you you just focus on that, just the tamper resistance, and they were like, no, nope, it's not the way we work. They they want to see it out in the field, and if it, uh, they want to give themselves uh, an out uh, to rescind the approval. So, yeah. So TextJet was asking, does the tamper resistance apply to the hardware as well? And uh, Dave, you can help fill in some details here. But didn't the ASTM standard when it got approved by the FAA, some of those. Uh, additions were very hardware related to hardware tamper resistance yes the the initial uh, a, uh astm mock was software uh, specific the uh, faa um tamper resistance was uh, uh, implied hardware but again it did not use and they shied away from uh, industry specific definitions to so that we could nail this down so it's still it's still vague it does yep. uh, now now encompass hardware and software yeah like 358622 just says like under the it says broadcast modules the remote identification broadcast module must be designed and produced in a way that reduces the ability of a person to tamper with the remote identification functionality that is such like a loose that's so loose it's the loosest right, thing you could possibly say right right well 3586 is the as that's the astm language and then right. there is a, a memo from the FAA that approves uh, that improves the mo the means of compliance, and there are three three sentences that uh, that were appended, which don't help. And they, you know, they don't make they don't nail it down. It's right. more um, 
you know, so we have, so the, um, we are trying to work this by, um, so working on each of the sentences one at a time. And uh, one of the proposals is to, could we say that it's the, um, in the manual, while, you know, the, the manufacturer can have the ability to uh, uh, alter or change because right, uh, change the code inside the remote ID assembly. Because right now in the rule, it's stipulated that um, the manufacturer must uh, inject uh, errors, and the only way to inject those errors is to alter the code. So, they within the their own rule, they're contradicting themselves, and we've pointed that out to the FAA. And so, th this is uh, uh, working along slowly. Gotcha. So, KBS Ken's asking, I can see how. The add-on module will work for an individual who builds their own quad. You don't need to certify the module works the manufacturer would. How would you envision the firmware like Betaflight making certification easy for the individual that builds their own or small manufacturer? But I would I would guess I would assume the idea here is that your the Betaflight is just interfacing with hardware you already have is like the idea. So you're buying a piece, and that piece or idea is the 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 tamper evident part, you know, and then you're just applying it to the build that you have, right? So like you can use existing hardware based on like, as long as the tamper between pieces of hardware is like not compromised or whatever, right? Is that, is that sort of the idea? Because we're, we're saying that you have to develop declaration of compliance, right, for the remote ID broadcast module. But what part is the actual module in this open source version, I guess, is the idea, right? Right. And so the firmware on any broadcast module is likely to be proprietary code, not open source. And so if there is a, uh, a good secure entry and exit into the flight controller, beta, which is running Betaflight, Arduflight, iNav, whatever, all open source, the, uh, the idea there is that Betaflight might be working with um, a remote ID manufacturer to make the uh, their system, uh, it's an API, an application programming interface function more uh, efficiently, but that would likely be the uh, the level or the extent of uh, Betaflight's uh, effort. So Hopefully that uh, answered the question. Not thinking of like modules we would put on our home-built drones, but thinking of things from the uh, Ardu pilot point of view, what Andrew Tidrell was talking about in his video, he, he talks about how he wants to make their software work in such a way that somebody manufacturing a drone, say you're a new company, you're, you're going to build a, a drone for uh, doing Amazon deliveries or something, and you use ArduPilot. So they have code in there that you can build a remote ID compliant system out of, but you will still have to go through the compliance with the FAA to get it all uh, approved and everything, but they will have software in there that knows how to grab the GPS information, knows how to send out the ASTM standard remote ID signal, and then it's up to that person building those drones to make it in such a way that it is uh, tamper resistant. So also in this case, aren't we just assuming that uh, 
it's okay that the GPS signal isn't tampered with that's coming in, right? Like, I mean, I feel like there are so many pieces you can still tamper with, right? There's data coming from your other equipment going through wires or something. It just seems so easy, even in any of these situations, to tamper, right? Like, so I just wonder, like, how are right. you sure that, like, that that's a well, good signal? Like, I could spoof mm -hmm. the GPS signal. And yeah, just that give reminds you me of the article location. I just read a couple of days ago about uh, cargo ships out in the ocean. Uh, they have gps trackers and you know you can see where they are and they all the time are lying about where they're at with uh, false gps information so they they go pick up oil in brazil or something where they're not supposed yeah. to be and they say they're 300 miles away and like yeah it's just how they do business i mean can't i just like modify it so that like, yeah i mean i it, the luck is that it's right now local but if this was any kind of utm i feel like it would be a bigger deal but um, like, how are they going to get GPS data from us when this is on a UTM? Like, I don't know. There are just so many questions that aren't answerable right now, right? Like, I feel like that's part of the problem. I agree. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, yeah if this were an un unmanned traffic management system, uh, I think it would all be really fretting. Uh, we'd want all of this encrypted and uh, and this secure. Uh, yeah. And, you know, people, so, I mean, someone would be insisting about a, a, a network RID as well. Um, like, when you... Go ahead. Sorry. I just, sorry. You can shut me up whenever you need to. So basically, uh, well, I, my, one of the other questions here is like, can't I just like spoof my location to be anywhere? So like your app shows me wherever the GPS location is because it's reporting. So then I'm like 10 miles away. You have no idea where I am and you, there's nothing you could do about it. Like there's just so many, it just seems weird. I don't know. Like, like to me, if you're going to tamper evidence something, the GPS is going to be included. It's got to be in that package. It's all potted together and you're getting real data. You're not getting fake data from an extra source, right? And I was reading through a little bit and I saw in 358622, I think, where they were talking about how like they kind of have to use external sources, but they were talking about it from the point of view of phones. And it wasn't clear, like they were talking about, you know, hey, phones are only this accurate, so we kind of have to do this. But like that seemed to be for the, uh, ground control station like yeah, exactly for the ground yeah. control station which has the necessity or the requirement rather of a 15-foot vertical accuracy right but then like yeah on the drone it seems like i mean i just don't understand how they're going to do that and, and guarantee anything like also i noticed that there was like an exception that you don't actually have to have a lock because i know they mentioned indoor in 358622 as well and like that's, um that's getting a lot of attention because there yeah. are they're federal agencies, um, as well as public safety, which have a very reasonable, uh, they they don't have to, but they want to comply with remote ID when they're operating just normal transit, when they're under right. an, an, some type of covert operation, either it's in theater or um, you know, doing something that they don't want to transmit um, their location, they want the ability to turn off. And so... The way the FAA, the FAA has no problem with that, and their response is fine. Well, that means that um, the manufacturer of the drone will just have to sell the public safety company a um, a unit that turns on and off, and that will not be compliant because uh, the remote ID cannot be uh, turned off. So, I, so I get, that's something I we we, we want to ask the FAA to create an advisory circular that covers. How are people expected to do that? Because people fly drones indoors all the time. Like if you buy a DJI drone and you want to fly it inside, you should be able to do that because that's not in FAA's jurisdiction. But according to the remote ID rules, F DJI wouldn't be able to produce that drone for the United States. 
Yeah, I noticed, I linked a picture here but from the rule, but I noticed that it says Note 6, as stated in Note 3, the pre-flight systems check does not require establishing a location, fix, or specific accuracy to pass. Under certain conditions, indoor or GNS Canyon, this may not be possible. So I'm that kind of figuring, that's from 358622, so I don't know what that means. Like, does that mean, like, it says pre-flight systems, does that mean, don't you have to pass pre-flight systems to take off, and that would mean you could take off, or like, that's it's not clear to standard, me. Uh... Standard remote ID, you don't, uh, you need, it has to check that it's broadcasting. If it's broadcast module, then it only has to have an indicator whether it's working or not, but it doesn't limit takeoff or landing. But it seems to put the note under standard remote ID rule, which is like why, why I'm confused, I guess. Yeah. Well, right. it is for, that is for standard. Standard does need, so you, but, it's basically saying it that you won't be able to fly there. But it says you don't need it. It says pre-flight system check does not require establishing a location fix or specific accuracy to pass. Because under certain situations, this may not be possible. I just noticed that. Sorry, I'm not trying to derail. But no, no. Good no really good question. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that, that should apply. Okay, what was note 3 say exactly? Yeah, good question. Uh, yeah, note 3 also, says, oh, yeah, oh, note three says although the... Oh. Go ahead. It just says, although the aircraft and GCS, ground control station, must be designed to meet certain accuracy requirements, the pre-flight systems check of these specific hardware software functions does not require establishing a location fix or specific accuracy. So I don't understand what that means. Like, how could you do both? Like, because you have to have a location the, fix to get the to get it. Because right? the te the te well, the 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 efficacy test is uh, in, in flight, and so. It's not all the testing uh, for the accuracy is done um, uh, with the uh, UAS in the air, not uh, prior to you know um, so prior to taking off. A standard remote ID drone is supposed to land as soon as possible if there's any issues with the remote ID system. So you're flying yes. around and you lose GPS accuracy, you're supposed to land immediately. But you right? don't know about accuracy. You know, you're just all you all you have to um, monitor is is the system functioning and is so it broadcasting? are you as a broadcast well, that you receiving. If that's true, this sounds like you can pass your pre-flight test without having any GPS accuracy at all. So you don't even need to know where you are. You could be inside with no GPS, and then you can fly around all you want without GPS accuracy, broadcasting some random GPS location, and you're fine. Does look like that. <laughs> Although I'm sure that's not what the FAA intends. I agree. No, that's exactly my but, yeah. That's I can't imagine that's that, what the intent. Is that the ASTM or the FAA rule? That's the ASTM. That's well, ASTM. then the FAA approved it, so then the FAA is okay with that. Right. That's how I see that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Or they don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah. But either way, it's definitely right in written writing. But I wonder. And it is approved. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I guess people will be designing around that spec too. So that would mean that it should be designed such that it wouldn't, you know, block that PFST, right? That's right. Yeah. And there were a couple, there was some, um, uh, Meet initially talked about an, an SOC to go to work around an open source and we can look to uh, other um, other black boxes like uh, cellular modems. And that that's exactly what a number of the, uh, uh, broadcast module uh, manufacturers are are working on, and there are people working on uh, uh, modules that have uh, logic plus uh, GPS receivers plus um, Bluetooth uh, transmitters, and that's the 
that's the you know the big uh, block diagram of uh, what a broadcast module is. Pretty simple. The other thing I would note is if this is the case, right? If we can read this as we read it, and then you don't need a location fix, that's why it doesn't matter the source of your GPS because they don't actually care. Right, all that matters is the remote ID signal is broadcast and it's not tampered with. It doesn't matter if the location is tampered with because you're still broadcasting from the drone, I guess, is the idea, and you're still broadcasting that session or drone ID. Um, I would assume, I, I guess that's got to be the idea we're, we're moving forward with, right? I mean, I it makes sense if you don't need to fix it, doesn't matter where you get the GPS from. I know they're so worried about where the pilot location is, I'm surprised they would let you fly at all if it's not broadcasting an accurate pilot location. Right. Yeah, because so what they want for the you know the accuracy is it's a design accuracy not an operational accuracy yeah and so they want you to be able to point to a phone for the g ground control station that has a 15 foot accuracy once the manufacturer stipulates that the fa is good with it there's no need for operational testing the airborne testing is uh, a test on the overall system, not on the uh, pretty sure, not on. Oh wait, it is. It is on the accuracy of the of the aircraft GPS. So once it once you establish the aircraft accuracy and point to a GPS, you're good. And then you do not. The uh, operator is not um, culpable or accountable to a failure in the accuracy of the device. The manufacturer is. I mean, at the end of the day, like if you're trying to design a system that people are going to use, you can't just shut down everything everybody's going to do because you can't get a location fix, right? I mean, I guess that's re that's that's actually really realistic. The, the surprise is that it's in this document, I guess, to me, right? That's what I would say. Yes. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah, I'm going to dig into the, the uh, so, seven point. Yeah. Basically, 7 .4. if you can show that your system meets the requirements, they'll approve it, and then when you go fly, if it can't get a good GPS signal, you can fly anyway. Which really makes yeah. it sound like it would be very easy to tamper with something because you can just interfere with the GPS signal and fly, and it'll fly and broadcast bogus remote ID information about GPS. Yeah, like yeah, you know, like Meet said, looks like we found a loophole. So this this one is um, <laughs> this one is worth digging into. We we don't definitely tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep keep it on the DL until the day before. Yeah, just block. Yeah, yeah just block. Yeah, servo control. Yeah, don't to, tell uh, the FAA. Uh, <laughs> so over on YouTube, uh, legendary sideburns is saying that the quad's already transmitting a radio signal. So what's the point of remote ID when you can already see where the quad is from where the remote or where the RF signal is coming from? Because you need a lot of ground stations for that. Also, you're not getting a session or like you have to have yeah. that un that secured session or drone ID. I think right? he's, he's saying I can see the drone right there. Why do I need to know where it is? <laughs> uh, and, but there, there's a lot more to remote ID than just seeing where a drone is. It's about knowing ideally who's flying and why they're flying and where the operator is, except for if you're flying recreationally. Right. As Dexter said, yeah, RF does not provide location. Yep. No, but your eyes give you some idea of the location. <laughs> because, yeah. it's, because we all fly visual line of sight. 
Yeah, and it's also we're, like a question of who can see it, right? Like, so that right. I think the idea is supposed to be no matter where you are behind trees or across the park, if you can get that signal, you can tell, hey, something's going on here, and there's drones in the area. I yeah, that's the idea of remote ID. I definitely understand the the basic ideas of like, hey, you could see the drone, and I don't need to worry about why do I care, right? I'm you're always going to be able to see it, but um, I would say. The government doesn't care about like logic and reason a lot of times, or at least that's something I've learned. Is that it's a lot about like by the books laws that you have to write down and make sure people that can be somewhat enforceable later. And that means you have to blanket a lot of stuff. You can't provide exceptions you want to provide, or they're very difficult to get. Like a lot of those pieces, right? And then it, as we've talked about before, it comes up to interpretation. Instead, instead of getting all these carve outs, you just get essentially carve outs, which are like people not fucking with you when you do stuff, right? And like, so. like Meat says in the chat, Congress said, do this. So the FAA is doing this. Um, exactly. And part of their explanation in the past has been citizens are concerned that there's a drone flying around near their house. They want to know why is it there? Who's flying it? They want to bring up their cell phone and be able to learn more about what's going on. And if, and even though you can see the drone and you kind of know where it is, the point of remote ID is to give that extra information. And then, of course, Homeland Safety um, and others, Department of Defense, want to know, oh, somebody's flying this drone from the third floor of a high-rise building, and they're in this room, and we need to go stop them immediately. Therefore, the, the really strict vertical requirements on the operator. Uh, TechJest asking, who is developing the cell phone apps? There is one for Android devices called Open Remote ID, or... Oh, gosh, what was it? Open drone ID. Or Open something. drone ID, yeah. Yeah. So it's another question is like, basically, are those apps, like, is there some kind of regulated app? Like, or or, or what is happening? Anyone like, can like, make an app. So like, if I'm a police officer, though, right, and I need to like, check the area, like, is there going to be an FAA app? Or are they just going to use some random app and then get a session ID and they have to write that somewhere? Like, the FAA, the FAA might um, do something like what they did with Aloft and where they use that for their before you fly and maybe it will be integrated into that. But I think it's just going to be up to the different companies to make their own remote ID app for their modules and standards. So I like uh, Meet's question here. Is there anything keeping private apps from doing data harvesting and history and the likes? Nothing. Nope. It's completely open. Nope public information if you stick an antenna on your roof and you can collect those signals you will know where all the drones near you are flying what patterns they're doing um, commercial sure. interests are definitely worried about this because you could spy on your competitor and know where they're flying all their drones all the time what kind of patterns they're doing and learn all kinds of things about their business based on what their remote id is telling you um, and there's nothing stopping somebody from publicly publishing that to a website, um, people collaborating across the country and making a map of the United States and where every single drone is at the moment and the history of where they've ever been. Yeah, the only benefit there, I'll say, is session ID, right? So the idea there is that we should be able to have a session ID so that we change our ID each time we fly. And that will mean that you can't be tracked across flights unless they see your physical drone or know where you fly. Uh, like tracking multiple session IDs should not give you information about new session IDs. So in that respect, like you will get information about drones that are flying in the area, but you won't necessarily know like this same drone has been here every day for a week, right? That's the idea. 
and meet that's a good question how's the session id generated i don't think that's uh established at this point yeah i was i just all, all i saw and i'm new at this like digging into the law stuff but all that i saw was um just carve out for like hey we got to do this we're gonna write how to do this at some point right right yeah yeah and as far as those apps and stuff goes like there isn't even a one single specific standard for how the remote ID information is transmitted. So technically, if four different companies get four different remote ID uh, means of compliance approved by the FAA, you could have to have four different apps that you know talk to each one in a different language to figure out where a drone is. Now, I doubt the FAA will do that. They'll probably say, oh, you have to do the same thing that this ASTM standard is doing. Um, but, but there's nothing stopping the it's also not the point of i don't know if they would limit if someone else made another means of compliance i don't think they would stop it from going through because there's already one that kind of seems to defeat the rule and it's a little bit tricky because drone manufacturer a could say okay we're complying with the standard by using bluetooth 5 long range great my cell phone doesn't have bluetooth 5 long range i can't see it but my cell phone does have um, Wi-Fi and drone B is doing remote ID and they're broadcasting it over Wi-Fi. So I can see that drone, but I can't see the other one because they're using a different technology. And I think the ASTM standard says you can use Wi-Fi, you can use Bluetooth 4, you can use Bluetooth 5 long range. And it's up to the manufacturer yeah. then to decide which one they do. Or I think like in the case of Arduino Pilot, they were trying to support all of them so that you know you would get the widest range possible on devices what ASTM standard says is we're going to use um, bluetooth 5 because that has the error checking that was also one of the requirements of the rule yes it'll be an interesting year may we live in interesting times we did, didn't have <laughs> it didn't have to be this interesting with um, everything else going on in the world I think we should address what KBS Ken said in his point out. So he said somewhere a session ID needs to be tied to your quad and registration for law enforcement to track a pilot down. So that's supposed to be on like a FAA secured server, right? And then um, Meet says that's on an unsecured S3 bucket sitting somewhere probably. So FAA already has experience with running secured servers. Is that right? Like they already have a yeah. database of like pilots and all that stuff. And so far, I'm not aware of any data breaches on that stuff. But um, yeah. So hopefully they have some understanding of how to run that stuff and can give law enforcement and people who need it proper access without uh, exposing, you know, data. Agreed. Yeah. It does. It does make me worried when um, you have IT discussions with uh, the rule makers and there's uh, <laughs> there's uh, appears to be a dearth of uh, deep um, technology understanding in the FAA. Yeah, I've definitely yeah. Uh, lived through some of that before trying to explain <laughs> technology to non-technology people who are trying to, yeah, regulate or control it. It usually doesn't go well. I, I, I was looking at Meet's comment. Hopefully, I'm very jaded about data, data leaks in the, moder uh, in the modern age, though. Yeah, well, you're in good company. Yeah. Four decades of, uh, of IBM has made me pretty jaded as well. <laughs> When I think of uh, people not understanding technology and trying to regulate it, it always goes back to the uh, the quote from the senator from Alaska talking about the internet is made of a, of a series of tubes. <laughs> I don't know if you you remember that one, Dave. It, it, 
goes that back a while. Oh, ooh. IBM is basically a meme at this point. <laughs> ah. Take a breath, Dave. <laughs> still, still have some friends working there. Still 408,000 employees. Uh, Lonely totality. I just want to clarify. So you, they, he says, I like how they made a big deal about sub two fifty quads, but they make it and uh, then make it that even part one hundred seven sub two fifty quads need remote ID. So it's just the basis of registration. So they're not setting a right. late in the re remote ID rules. It's just strictly based on what quads you have to register. And because you have to register sub two fifty for one hundred seven, it applies to that. So it's a uh, it's sort of a technicality thing. It's and not we're, like a, it, it's something to be concerned about too, because remote ID says if you have to register your drone. Now, if the FAA next year changes the rules for registering your drone to be anything down to 10 grams, now you have to have remote ID on everything down to 10 grams. Yep. Or if we get really lucky and they go the other direction, uh, then maybe you don't have to have remote ID on your 600 gram drone. And, positive. Uh, Stay positive. <laughs> XJet is asking over on YouTube, like, how do you put remote ID on a Mobula 6 being flown under part 107 without crippling its performance? Yeah, you can't. Uh, you fly it indoors and you pretend you're flying oh, it outside. I don't know. You, you fly yeah. in a Freya that doesn't exist because there are no CBOs yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a, a, a thing we pointed out too, you know, we talked about this when uh, we had Dave on. Uh, when me and Bardwell talked to him, but you know, if, if you're flying as a 107 commercial pilot, like to film YouTube videos, like that means you can't fly outside with anything. You can't put a module on, you know what I mean? Like you just can't review that whoop outdoors or it's going to be a night. Like you're not reviewing the whoop anymore. It just very, it puts a lot of things in weird uh, situations, right? Which don't, it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> unfortunately, mm -hmm. like, like it, it's because it's blanket applied, right? It's because these have to be registered and that covers remote ID. It's not like they said, hey, we want these tiny quads to have models on them. It's just a blanket because of the way they made the rules. That's that's at least the way I see it. It's much easier for them to go, hey, we're just going to apply the registration to quads already than say, here's a bunch of list of what applies you know, to this. That's what I would say. And maybe they'll write an advisory circular that says, we're not going to enforce rule XYZ in this specific case, but... My guess is yep. they won't explicitly say that. They just won't, you know, enforce that on, you know, Nick Burns. If he's flying a 50-gram drone around his backyard, the FAA is not going to fine him for doing that. Now, if somebody's doing something really reckless, then maybe they'll make an example out of them. So who knows what they'll do. This is where I should just say the obligatory, although it's you're right, we don't want laws that we can just we have we technically avoid instead of you know like they could enforce on the books but they don't you know what I yeah mean? i just, i really uh, don't like that idea and like extrad also points that out we don't it, rules like that are really bad if the rule exists but people don't enforce them except for when they feel like it like that just opens right. up the ability abuse. for law enforcement to abuse that in any way they want like we normally just ignore this, but we don't like this person because of X, Y, Z. So you're going to get a huge fine and everybody else gets off and it's just terrible. I was going to say, that's generally where the targeting comes in, right? That's generally where you see the, the way mm -hmm. for them to find and target people they don't like or want to get rid of, right? So it's unfortunate. Maybe people who went to protest or something like that. <laughs> yeah, say 100%. you went to an FAA like, protest yeah. uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah. yeah. 
on February 27th. <laughs> 2020. Oh, boy. All right. Well, I, I think we may, yeah, so I, I think there's some good points, and um, the one of the points in here has uh, re reiterated a point that uh, we've been on for three years, which is uh, if the rules are unreasonable, that will result in widespread noncompliance. And we yep. are down in the details, and we're we're I think reasonably expert on this one. And I I think there's going to be, it's it's going to be straightforward for a standard remote ID. So I I bought my old Mavic, I buy my new Mavic, it's in, I turn it on, it works, I don't care. Uh, I think for a broadcast module, it might be a little different for us. We'll have to connect it, but uh, power it up, and it's happy. Its lights blink, and off I go. And hopefully, it's uh, it's about that difficult. Uh, we'll we'll see. I expect it for us, but we'll continue how it's been. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see what else has been yeah. going on here. So Dave, do we have any uh, word from the FAA on uh, when CBOs are going to be announced? <laughs> no, sir. Okay, <laughs> not any day now, right? That's right. Yeah, we could say, well, we heard it was September, but we're not sure what year. No, <laughs> it's supposed to be September twenty twenty two, which is no, now. that's Brios, not CBOs. You can submit CBOs an application a while ago. to. Uh, create a FRIA as of September according to the remote ID rule, but nobody knows how to do that because they haven't announced how you can do that. Right. Uh, other no than CBO. that you have to be a CBO or an education. So technically, yeah. if you're, say, a high school, uh, any day now, or you college. could, or college, you could send the FAA an application for a FRIA, but they just don't tell you how to do that. Take a wild guess. <laughs> Probably Submit. sort of like submitting a waiver. You know, you send it in, and 90 days later, they tell you we reject it. And then you have to try it again, and hopefully you do better the second time. <laughs> hmm? <laughs> no news on that. That's certainly something that uh, whenever we have an opportunity to speak with anyone at the FAA, whether it's the outreach organization, the UAS um um, integration office, uh, we bring this up both on the topic of CBOs and FRIAs because that's uh, that's key to uh, uh, allowing people to fly uh, without remote ID. Uh, let's see, what other questions do people have here? Uh, Ken's asking, on a different subject, I fly largely in areas where if a crewed aircraft would fly, they would be in dire circumstances. I think that's true for a lot of us. <laughs> I think this has been being called now shielded operations. Is there anything you can share about shielded operations, uh, what it might look like, additional certifications, and so on? Dave, you can probably help answer that. So, yeah, so um, we were able to get shielded operations included in the Beyond Visual Line of Sight uh, ARC recommendations. So that's obviously pre-notice for public rulemaking, pre-rule, or beyond visual line of sight. However, a, a lot of discussion on shielded operations, and so it became a uh, a norm and a, a, a well understood and good uh, central 
uh, operation that was uh, viewed as uh, helping situational awareness. So uh, lots of discussion uh, with the, the key stakeholders that were really concerned about it, notably the helicopter folks. Um, and there was uh, some concern about the agricultural spraying uh, folks. Um, that said, the, uh, the what we put forward in the uh, BV loss arc was that the we would fly uh, up to 100 feet over a structure and uh, 100 feet out, and uh, that that was viewed as a, a good good way to manage uh, shielded ops. Um, uh, XJet will tell you that uh, in New Zealand there uh, they have a shielded ops that you don't fly under the top of the obstruction and you have 400 feet lateral and so that's not what uh, what was put forward uh, uh, with the uh, FAA in the BV loss arc. Uh, in addition we know there's uh, some there is an assure project with five schools going on to uh, validate uh, how how this might be uh, utilized and so that's uh, uh, that's work that uh, we anticipate is, that is happening now. XJet did clarify it's a hundred meter radius and below the height of the tallest structure. So three hundred and thirty feet meter? or so. Well, I in mean, it would make it would make sense in right. other countries that they would use meters and not yeah. feet. Yeah, okay. meters are much nicer. <laughs> Says the engineer. That's yep. right. <laughs> so much easier to deal in MKS than SAE. All right. Uh, let's see. What else have we been up to, Dave? The FPV Freedom Coalition. Uh, has there been anything interesting on the AC or the tasking groups for one for the AC? Well, it's uh, we are. Uh, it's not interesting, but we are busy. It's um, we're uh, we're wrapping up a. Um, Tasking Group 13, which was uh, written about a, a framework that the FAA put out. We've been, uh, the Tasking Group has been uh, consumed about six months on this. It will be reported out on the next ACT meeting, which is October 20. Uh, location, I don't think, has been identified, Alex. Is that right? I haven't heard a location yet. Yep, that's my understanding as well. And so th that, uh, that paper is uh, being uh, finished up and uh, spending time on that, submitting it to uh, the FAA, and then that will go pu uh, public in uh, an ebook on October 20. Not not one I would rush out, that, at least that <laughs> specific paper. I mean, it's thought it's thoughtful, a lot of, a lot of good uh, ideas in it. It's, uh, it's deep, um, you know, not, not terribly relevant to a lot of what we're uh, working on. And do we know um, when the next AC meeting is going to be? That's, let's see, we had one back in October, June, so the next one's October? October 20. Okay. Yeah, 10 20. When I'm in, that's when I'm in Florida. Uh, so a month, almost racing. two months from now. Oh, okay. <laughs> Alex is busy uh, multitasking, which is oh, good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to find something in my textbook here. Okay, from around the room, Blunty, Alex, Dan, anything else from you guys? Nope. All right. 
Nope, I've got nothing okay, else. Good. I just wanted to thank uh, Blunty for being here and joining the FPV Freedom Coalition. Uh, it looks like you brought some fans with you, which is great. We were, uh, got more participation in this meeting than usual, which is awesome to see. Yeah, I'll try to bring people every Wednesday. Hopefully, I'll, I'll tell them on the news before we when you know every when we do this uh, roundtable thing. Yeah, that's so pretty good timing that you guys have the news just the evening before, so you can get the word out for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, we, we really hope Josh has a working air conditioner very, very soon, <laughs> and he'll be able to join us for our next meeting in two weeks. Yeah. Very good. And also, um, my uh, my welcome, Plenty. I'm, I'm thrilled uh, that you're on board, and uh, we could use the help, and we appreciate it. Happy to be here. All right. Alex, and, anything from you? And anybody else in the chat's got any other questions we can try to answer before we go? Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate the main it. thing I'll say, and I think I said before, is just the main, you'll just have to shut me up because I'll just talk a lot. So <laughs> not, a, not a problem. I'll just go on a tangent for three hours. You'll so. fit right in with, with Dave and Josh. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I've learned to try to cut them off if I've got something to say once in a while. <laughs> fair. Absolutely fair. <laughs> All right. Uh, with that, if uh, nothing else, then I'll close out the meeting. Thank you, everyone. Good discussion. See you guys Appreciate later. It. Thank you.